0: Here. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host Vijay R Nathan, and with us today is co-host uh, Jessica Hines. Welcome, Jessica. Hello, hello, hello. So, uh, so now our guest, special guest today, is Christine Sloan, started, uh, Salvadorian American author, interdisciplinary artist, and founder of Quail Bell Magazine. Her work has been recognized by Miss Magazine and various other organizations. Originally from Virginia, she lives in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, Christine.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, thank you. So, I always start off the conversation with about uh, Quilba Magazine. Tell us about its founding and what's its uh, what's it about and such.
1: Yeah, sure. So, it's a place for real and unreal stories from around the world. We play a lot with the imaginary, the nostalgic, and the otherworldly. We are run entirely by women, but we publish all kinds of folks. And I founded the magazine when I was an undergrad at VCU, bought the URL in 2009, did shit with it for about six months, (laughs) and finally started to toy around with the website and actually post a lot on Craigslist and just ask people to submit. This was before... A lot of things were popular, but Craigslist was there and I was not doing anything sex related. So I guess people were surprised to see (laughs) these art and literary posts. Was there anyone who showed up who thought it was going to be sex? Yeah, no, I'm serious. We we definitely got. Uh, erotica, uh-huh. which isn't that surprising, but we got some pornographic images uh-huh. in the early days.
2: Oh, uh-huh. honestly,
1: I think it was because it was posted to Craigslist, and well, people just made assumptions. Yes, I think that
3: <laughs> that is the Craigslist. Like that's one of the reasons why I kind of love Craigslist. Is that like <laughs> it has that vibe of like legitimate, you know, with a question mark? But so, so you. You got most of your submissions from Craigslist.
1: In the early days. In the early days. Oh no, not
3: now. Yeah, not now. Uh, Now Now you have to have an agent. Uh You have Uh to it has to be submitted. But um Uh No, that's kind of that's awesome. Um I love this idea of like having this URL and just sitting on it and then being like, oh wait a minute, I need to there's potential that I'm sitting on that I'm not utilizing. And making something great out of it.
1: Yeah. And then I studied abroad in Scotland because, again, this was all college days and they have Gumtree over there, which is like Craigslist, but not quite as smutty. So I started calling, putting out calls for submissions on Gumtree. So for a long time, because I really got the website going when I was in Scotland, most of our submissions actually came from the UK, not the uh, US. So I went back to Virginia, was still running this website and getting all these English and Scottish submissions. It's pretty funny.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and then we eventually did zines and books and other print projects, lots of art shows, films. But yeah, the early days were all Craigslist people and Gumtree people. <laughs>
3: I like that they have their own little Craigslist.
1: Yeah, no, it's yeah. pretty funny and it's very British. <laughs> I would.
3: It, it sounds like Gumtree. Gumtree. Just, yeah, that does. That sounds pretty British.
0: Yeah. So I understand you. you uh, when you your you were talking a little bit about your and your pre-interview questions about the most valuable failure coming right after college. So maybe this might be good. Uh, it's so telling us to your journey in life and how. So this is most of the most well. Cool you start setting up in college and then. And and a little bit after, but then you had a a very interesting uh, story about uh, entering. you can tell that story. and we'll
1: yeah, sure. Through. So I studied creative writing and film in college, did some film festival work with the Toronto International Film Festival, the Virginia Film office, a couple other places, and my now husband, and I produced a documentary for Virginia PBS. It was all about Edgar Allan Poe's life in Virginia. Uh, he actually spent more years of his life in Virginia, uh, even more so than in Maryland. Everyone's like, oh, Baltimore. Yeah, he basically died there. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't much other connection there going on. But anyhow, so David Fuchs, uh, my husband, and I made this documentary when we were in college. And that helped me get a job at PBS out of college. Mm-hmm. So first I was a paid intern. I did a lot of the schlepping. Um, you know, I had some real work. They had me writing and producing. And 6 months into it, I was offered a full-time job. And that lasted 70 days.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: And it was I mean, I think there were a lot of reasons uh one of which was that the person who supervised me during the internship was a very supportive woman, and she really just wanted to mentor a young woman. She had worked at PBS for years at that point, and she saw me, saw that I was working hard, saw that I was there at all hours. (laughs) And as soon as that job opened up, she encouraged me to apply for it. But then she was promoted to another position, So I ended up working for somebody who was totally new to PBS and um, someone who would regularly make comments about my age and my appearance, Mm -hmm. Um, someone who treated me like an assistant. And yes, it's true that I was very young at that point, but I was also brought on to produce a whole show. I had a producer credit. Um, so it was just a very frustrating experience, but I think ultimately it was good for me because I didn't want to do a plug and play show. I was brought in to do this magazine style show where they had all these different segments, um, that were submitted by different PBS stations across the country. And it was more or less my duty to pick and choose from these segments, and then produce one original segment per half-hour show. So there were a lot of, not not to bash, you know, I'm from Virginia. So, uh, okay. <laughs> yes, I know there are certain Southern and Midwestern stereotypes, but it's true that many of the submissions coming from those parts of the country were not the strongest, but they were also mostly what was being submitted because people in Boston and New York and Chicago were not as interested in submitting their PBS segments for this show. They didn't have as much of a need. Right. Yeah. So there I am picking from segments submitted from Oklahoma, yeah.
3: <laughs> PBS,
1: uh, Mississippi stuff like that. Um, and having to put together a quality 30 minute show based on that and having a very overbearing person over my shoulder saying, Oh, well that sucks. And Oh my God, you're so young, blah blah blah, yeah. and oh, you look very cute today. And you know, it's very intimidating how creative you are. Just yeah. gross, weird stuff. Did they actually say it's intimidating? Yes. first oh, day, first, hey. first, first day well, quote. First of all, first of all, I would like to
3: say that <laughs> that is a compliment. Yeah, but um, not when
1: it's delivered by yeah. a gross six-year-old man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm
3: not. I'm not saying
1: it's a good thing,
3: uh-huh. but I'm saying like if someone was like, "I'm so intimidated," like that's as if someone was just like, "Oh, you're too smart," yeah. and like that's a shitty thing to say. I'm um, like because it's you know the inherent sexism or whatever that's in it. But I'm like, but it, but that is like that points out that says more about their. Like idiocy guess, uh, more than oh, it is yeah, about like yeah. that yeah. person where it's just like that and it's unfortunate that you know I I feel like there's a lot of people who have similar stories. like mm. I'm lucky where it's like I've I've always looked older than I am so like I I am and and sometimes I will age myself in that way cuz like when I first started teaching you know, I, I realized I was just like, I am kind of young and most people probably don't know that like, like I started my career at 12, you know, I was first published when I was 12. Yeah. And so I'm like, I've been really in this for a long time, but my age doesn't show it. And it yeah. doesn't, pr- you know, like you can't tell my experience from my age, which is something that people need to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, But no, I mean, I think that that like when you walk into a situation where it's like if you're male, for the most part, like people are just going to assume you're a genius when you're female and in a position of power that you you seem too young to be in there it's it's very sad that the connotation is is that you either didn't earn it or you are not prepared yeah which is i think what those comments probably felt like i'm assuming
1: oh yeah i mean so the first day that this person comes on and that i am in this new full-time position um uh, It's the end of the day, like last hour of the day. And he calls me in to his office. So I go, (laughs) of course. And he apparently had been talking to everybody at the office. This is what he tells me. I mean, he closes the door just as he's telling me this, which I also didn't like. Like, why do we need the door closed? (laughs) There's no reason for this. I never seen anyone else in the office have a closed door meeting unless someone was getting fired, honestly. Um, so you closed the door and he said, yeah, I've been talking to everybody and you know, I've just been observing you today and you're, I don't think you realize that your creativity is very intimidating. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> what for also, did you actually talk to other people or did you just talk to the o- other old men in the office because that's kind of <laughs> yeah. like the I know the women here like me a lot and don't find if they find me intimidating they haven't said it like we're still able to work together.
3: I have a question. Have you ever found creativity intimidating like you personally no like i yeah. i've no. never considered no. that yeah, creativity, creativity being in like i have a friend who literally wears like spandex pants and runs around with like peanut butter and jelly and like a <laughs> bag of bread doesn't take the subway like never showers and is one of the most like creative genius writers i've ever met and i'm like i'm not intimidated by it. like i can be overwhelmed by it a little bit yeah. i can be like that's a lot cool you know <laughs> um or like i'm gonna choose to wear deodorant if you don't like that's fine uh-huh. um but i don't know like i just think that the wording of that yeah i mean as yeah. since we're gonna talk about words and we're all writers here the la- the diction of yeah. that is very interesting to me yeah i'm just like because either either he's either it's a euphemism and he's using creativity to really mean something else. Yeah. Uh. Um, Uh or I'm like, why would creativity
1: intimidate anyone?
3: Like to
1: me, because they're boring
3: Uh
1: (laughs) because they're not creative because they're jealous because there's somebody who had been an independent producer, for decades and wasn't able to do it anymore wasn't mm. able to find success that way anymore and had mm. to go for a staff job so what you're really saying is that your creativity
3: held up a mirror to this person's insecurities and so he was putting his inability to deal with his insecurities onto you and labeling yeah. it as yeah. this is your problem also- yeah yeah it also, seems like <laughs> yes, like that
0: sense of competition or that sense of like, and how we can move away from that. Because I think that one of the major things that uh, the lessons I think, the what are the what are some of the things that you think you took away from this experience and, and how it moved you towards maybe something uh, a vision of the world of solidarity versus competition, how that kind of connects. Or, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. Um, it made me think more carefully about seeking out mentors who yeah. I considered. A mentor, I mean, I don't even necessarily like that word, but definitely there are people that I respect, and they don't even have to be older mm. than me or more experienced in a certain way than me. I just have to feel that they have certain vibes uh and values, ways of doing things that yeah. I admire,
0: yeah like an ally, yeah, yeah. Be yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. a mentor always has that, you know, mentor mentee relationship. I don't like the your, hierarchy. The hierarchy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas you have the ally, an ally in any business or any hierarchy, um, you know, you want to find allies within cross across the hierarchy. You want to find yeah. people who are, yeah. you know, of the same birds of a feather kind of a mentality. Yeah, and yeah.
1: identify people who <sighs> I can really learn from. Yeah. People I respect. People I feel respect me. Mm. Um, I that whole experience just made me think a lot more carefully about the different people I want to collaborate with who Mm. I want to have in my life. Also what kind of work I want to do for money Mm. and how I want the work that I do for money to overlap and not overlap with the things that I do creatively, um, often more so for quote unquote fun and personal fulfillment. Um, Yeah. Just tell me a lot of things. Tell me that I don't want to be a part of projects that are too plug and play, like to just put these puzzle pieces together instead of, no, I have this vision. Of course, I'm going to have to adapt to some kind of format that makes sense. But I want to have my idea first and then go from there instead of Looking at all these bits and pieces and trying to make them work.
2: Mm,
0: yeah, and what? And you're talking a little bit about solidarity and how trying to, uh, you know, with social justice and such, the, a theme that is very important to your work and to your career and such. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of how you understand, you know, like you know, and in, in, in when you have like these kinds of mentalities of people who are, you know, whether in, in establishments and such, and you want to be able to kind of construct a way in order. to, um, counterbalance that you know would you say that or how would you frame that
1: yeah I mean I think everybody has something to offer and yeah. that we can all learn from each other teach each other Um yeah somebody might have more formal experience in one regard or maybe they've read more about one topic or studied something for longer than someone else but I just think that we really should try and respect each other and think about what others have to offer instead of making assumptions. And sure, we need leaders. We need a little bit of a hierarchy and a little bit of uh, protocols and delegate this and that. But why don't we just try and work together (laughs) (laughs) and not be jerks about it? Can't we all just get along? Yeah. God, yeah. why is it so hard? <laughs> yeah. We fi- we figured it out, you
3: guys. We have solved. Yeah. Here's the solution. Uh-huh. All the problems. Just be nice. <laughs> just be na- well, here's the thing. Honestly, just be nice would be if people actually did it. You know, like yeah. that
1: actually would yeah. be a huge thing. Like forward, Kindness so. is yeah. radical. I-, I love hearing that. Yeah. And I think it's true. Just being receptive to others, trying to understand where they're coming from. Uh, just finding some kind of common ground. Mm. It is hard, but try. Yeah.
0: Just try. (laughs) There's always that shifting the blame I find in these kind of being nice. Well, they weren't nice. So I'm not going to be nice kind of thing. Do you find that? Or I think, I think we need to like, it's almost like a burden a little bit when you're in relationships or in, uh, uh, any kind of dynamic, with the other, we we perceive the other person to be real jerk or real yeah, not yeah, nice yeah. person. Then we're like, oh, that gives us freedom or blank check yeah. to be like, whatever. <laughs> no, no, no. This all,
3: is a big pet peeve off, of mine. this is know? a big pet peeve of my about, about respect. Yeah. Where someone's like, Well, they haven't earned my respect. And I'm yeah. like, that makes no sense to me. Cause yeah. to me, I'm like, I'm I consider myself a respectful person, which means that I respect people. Yeah. And I'm like, if my respect is dependent upon the actions of the person, that doesn't make me a respectful person. Like, yeah. like I was just like, no, like, I'm not gonna let this person's poor behavior determine yeah. whether or not I am a respectful person. Right. I yeah. give people respect because I am a respectful person, even if that person is acting like a petulant child. Because yeah. here's the thing I don't really know. Maybe their meds are off, you know, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they just got diagnosed with something like I'm going to give you respect and respect you as a human being. And even if you treat me like crap, like it doesn't mean that I have to condone your behavior. It doesn't matter that mean that I have to let it continue to happen. I can distance myself from you, but I think people confuse like things like giving respect with like condoning and encouraging behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, like, like you can be a respectful kind person and not get trampled on and not get abused and yeah. not be taken advantage of because yeah. the moment you realize that that person is abusing or stepping on you you can distance yourself in a way that is still kind and is still respectful because you're like this is the way I treat other human beings because this mm. is the way that I I believe that we should treat each other and I think that that there's this like response in the mind where we just feel like we have to either be you know, we, we have to, like, attack the thing that mm-hmm. we yeah. dislike rather than just saying, I'm going to remove myself from this situation. Yeah. You know, and I do feel like in that way, like, like there's one time where, like, two months ago, a guy on the subway, Hoyt Skimmer Horn stop on the G train, came up, and he started kicking me in the leg and screaming, Jeez. screaming oh, at me. Uh, it was one of those people, he's like, uh, he's like, he's like, F you, you effing C word, da da, 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 and there started you know obviously someone who's not well yeah yeah and, but he literally was kicking me and 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 kind of slapping me you know i'm so sorry yeah. oh, Well, yeah. first of all there was like 20 other people on the platform and no one did anything uh, no. um and i but here's the thing it was so weird it was just like it's just like i i under, it's like my body understood that like this guy's just having a bad day and he's not mentally stable, but like I could feel in my body that like he meant no harm. I mean, like like he, he, he was not actually a threat in some way. And so I stood up and I looked him straight in the eyes and I was just like, I was like, please don't yell at me or hit me. Yeah. Yeah. And he stopped hitting me, but then he, And he paused for him and then he kept screaming at me a little bit. But I could like see for that moment in his eyes where I was like, this, this person either is on drugs or, you know, I'm, I'm used to interacting with people who are not the most mentally, you know, present (laughs) at the moment. And I could see, like, I could see the part of him that was like, probably a lovely sane man who, you know, but, and then (laughs) I could see like the disorder in his mind taking over. And I was like, okay, I was like, this person's actually, it's fine. And, but I, you know, and then he continued to curse at me. And so I was just like, I was like, have a nice day. And I walked away.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I was like, I
3: am not going to allow his behavior to turn me into a lesser version of myself. right And that's, you know, just, you know, it's not Craigslist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody would pay for what he did to you. Yeah. On Craigslist. (laughs) Oh, I know. There's a post for that. Like Please come kick me and yell at me and Uh call
3: me names. Some of my closest (laughs) friends are dominatrixes. So like Uh I I see the pictures, I see the pictures. They they'll be like, This is the cock cage I put this person in. And I'm like, Your job is so much more interesting than mine. I was like, This is the screenplay one of my students wrote. Um, yeah, her life is much more exciting than mine is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, because also from before we were talking about like how respect comes from like some people like they had this meme on the internet that I thought was interesting that, uh, you know, like put, when we put in positions of power, right? So yeah. sometimes respect means respect me as an authority figure. And sometimes respect means respect me as a human being. Right. And some people interpret that as if if you don't respect me as an authority figure, then I will not respect you as a human being. You yeah. know, I think it's a very insightful because, you know, when we have that power play it. Power dynamic at play. That's when things throw off, get thrown off, and you know, respect becomes. Oh my god, a, that is yeah. Donald
3: Trump. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you don't respect the authority that he has, he yeah. will not respect you as a human being. Yeah. yeah. He, only, some people yeah though, he only. But, res- yeah. He only. It's he only respects people yeah. who. Oh, that yeah. conditional yeah. behavior is toxic.
0: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, mm. and definitely, I think that we have that you know problem back in all levels, though, even down to like you know any kind of uh employer employee relationship yeah. you know yeah, yeah as we were talking about before um
1: yeah no the best uh bosses or supervisors I've ever had have been understanding they want me to do my best work and mm-hmm. they want me they want to give me the tools to succeed they recognize my strengths and they say okay what do you need i tell them we negotiate, you know, we might have to go back and forth a little bit, but they try and find, they try and make that environment for me because they want me to do well. They're not trying to put hurdles in mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I think that's the, like, as someone who has managed a lot of people before, not necessarily always successfully, I, <laughs> uh, I, I will, I will, no, the, this is, is hard. Is, here's the thing. Like, I've never wanted to be a parent. Okay. They're, they they were like, kids you know like when i was a kid i did not play house i played school i wanted a school i did not want children i never wanted marriage like i don't understand that whatever breeders okay cool like i don't i don't hate on it for other people but i'm like it's not for me and so but when i was managing a group of people i realized and one of the reasons why i don't do that anymore is because i was like oh i work for them yeah. And I way, am the parent. I was like, yeah. when you're managing people, when you have people under you, it's you hiring people to uh-huh. do something that you can do better than them, uh-huh. which is annoying to watch someone do something in a way that you're like, I could do this. But be- this is why I can't manage people. Well, anymore. because that- I'm like, I will just take over and be like, just shut up and let me do it. Uh-huh. But I'm like, good managers, you know, are people who can, or bosses or whatever, or look down and be like, and realize that like their job is to facilitate the work that you do and to manage it and make sure that it gets done in the most effective way and that you learn the most from it. And so I was like, wow, I do not want that much responsibility in parenting, you know, so yeah. I would much rather have a company of one and a half, which is <laughs> the half, as I call my part-time assistant. Um But no, and I think that like the people who are really great at that, they are. It's like they're employment parents that are really, really good about giving you the space that you need to develop the way that you need to develop, but like creating those guidelines and knowing that even though they could step in and do it better than you, that that would rob you of your development. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, if you're not good at that, you're maybe you should do a job where there's no one working under you.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you need a lot of emotional intelligence, clearly. I don't necessarily think that the manager has to be a better technician, let's say, hmm. um, than the people that they're supervising. I do think that they, that they have to have experience in that field.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, they have to know how to do that kind of work. so they are capable of stepping in when it's required. But I think it's more important for them to have a high level of emotional intelligence and organization Mm. um, and just have a good overall vision of how to get things done and actually implement a plan. Because sometimes the best technicians don't have good, oftentimes, they don't have good emotional intelligence.
3: (laughs) Or, or like, like I have high emotional intelligence, but I'm, I don't. My emotional intelligence does not come out and thrive in an environment where I am in charge of a group of people. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, line. yeah. So like, like, one-on-one. Right. Yeah. One-on-one, I am amazing. Yeah. Like, mm. one-on-one, I am incredible. Mm. Group environment, like, monster just yeah. comes out. And I'm just... <laughs> and I know. And now I know. And I'm just like, okay, like, I, I'm i not going to put myself in those situations anymore because I want... You know, I, I want to be... But, like, if you get me one-on-one, like... I I am a lovely amazing person for you you know yeah. but like here are the conditions you put uh-huh. me you put me in charge of a group of like three or more interns and you will see the worst oh. version of me and uh-huh. i do and i'm like i don't want to meet that girl like it's just <laughs> like my inner ursula comes out and um and ursula is like very good with words and yeah. very manipulative and it's like i'm gonna steal your voice um uh-huh. uh But I feel like, okay, we're already 28 minutes in, though, and I feel like we need (laughs) poetry. Yeah,
0: I was just about to say that. I was just like,
3: I was like, why haven't we had a reading yet? And there's this beautiful book that, ooh, with, with
1: lovely images
0: yeah, tell it's us, tell us creepy, give but. us title a little bit about the book first. Yeah,
1: sure. So I have two books out this year. One is a collection of poetry, and one is a collection of short stories. The one I have here today is Belladonna Magic, spells in the form of poetry and photography. I wrote all the poems. I produced all the photographs. Which, because this is radio, you can't see, but they're it's all beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> they're all do- double exposure uh photographs um what does that mean so well with a lot of them i just did tons of layering there was in camera work but in uh post-production in photoshop i just layered lots of images uh played with opacity played with color so some of them even look more like illustrations than photographs for that reason wait Mm. is that a photograph that yeah this okay this so is a photograph. I know that you guys
3: can't see this, but yeah. I saw this and I was like, what great graphic design. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a heart. Yeah. So it is. It's a- with like this yellowy stringy background and it's almost like there's this hand on it and there's shoes. What? That's not a. F- how- yes,
1: it is. Yeah. It's multiple photographs that are layered, layered on. on top oh, of each okay. other. And there's a little bit of digital painting, but it's mainly photography. Well,
0: what, what's a photograph of wow. a heart?
1: Yeah, it's of a heart. And there's a that is gloves velvet and shoes. glove. Yes. And oh, nice. high heels. And then the background is a wood grain. Background. Oh, uh, okay, I'm seeing yeah. it now. I'm seeing yeah. it now. And the cover yeah. is a vulva. It's made out of clay. Here's another photograph. It just has a lot going on. Yeah. The sculpture that I photographed is something that I made out of air dry clay and then painted with acrylic, photographed that on a wood background, and then in Photoshop, overlaid an image of flowers.
2: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very striking. Yeah. And glittery. And. Volva E.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. So this came out from Shanti Arts, uh, which is located in Maine in January. And then the other book that I have out this year just came out. I had a problem with scheduling. I wouldn't have, if it had been up to me, I would not have scheduled two books in one year because that's ridiculous for mm. promotion. Yeah. <laughs> but things happened, things beyond my control. And the other one is Desert Fox by the Sea. That's from Hoot and Waddle, and that's a collection of short stories. Um, And Hoot and Waddle is based in Phoenix. They came out of Four Chambers Press, which regionally is quite known. Here in New York, nobody knows what the fuck that is. But (laughs) (laughs) all right, so I'll read a poem. The first poem in Belladonna Magic is uh, something that appeared in Ms. Magazine. And it is accompanied with that photograph of the glove and the heart and the lipstick and all that stuff. The storm inside a woman. No one told me my body was an earthquake. My body's a hurricane. Tornado. That my body was and will always be the eye of the storm. They only told me that I was a woman, that I was to be placid as a lake. Yet how can I be human if I never thunder, if I never rain? I am wind and I am hail, just as I am flesh and I am blood. This lake will stir, this lake will flood, and when it's placid, it will hypnotize. that's a poem. Thank you. Yeah. Thank I you. always
3: it's it's fun sometimes where I'm like is this a dramatic pause? Yeah. <laughs> like what is this? It's like yeah. at the, the end of any of my plays, it's like the lights go down and uh-huh. my plays are always so abstract that there's this moment where the audience is like
2: is that is that the end? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm always in the
1: back the <laughs> <being> like <laughs> 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 um <laughs> Well, that's the thing. At a reading in yeah. person, I could just say thank you. But on radio, I don't know. That's well, kinda- Or yeah. you just, you
2: know, or
3: you yeah. just put
1: the book down and like lower your eyes. And the goes, yes, yes, it's it's
3: overdone. <laughs> um, no, I I have a very strong response to that. I I mean it makes me angry. Um, in a good way. Yeah, language. yeah. No, it's should. <laughs> like, I was just yeah. thinking about how I was just like, Fuck, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah Damn it. I'm so I was like, oh, like, no, just you know, in this feeling of like Sometimes I feel like as a woman, I'm like, why can't I just be like, why do I have to like earn so much permission to be a human?
1: Yeah. I don't yeah. even want to be sense. a woman sometimes. Yeah. I just want to be a human. No, and it's, it, no, it's absolutely true. Like I, that is
3: like where I'm just like, I just, you know, like just to be s- seen or heard as like any just I'm like, I, I hate the interpretation of like. And I mean, this is true, I'm sure, for like race and, and, yeah. and yeah. sexuality and gender and all of those things that I think for this year of my life, I've I think I pretended for a long time that it didn't bother me, but like because consciously I didn't think it, it did. But no, I mean, it's it's amazing how if you are an other or a marginalized person in any way, like. You have to fight to be seen as human, and that's yeah, because you're really that exhausting. label first
1: in yeah. so many people's eyes, you know, yeah. and like that idea of like,
3: oh, you have to be like the placid like the lake versus you know an ocean i was I was visualizing, and I was like, no, no, I was like, we're all oceans, you know, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but if you're a marginalized person, you're expected to be as still as a lake, otherwise yeah. it's interpreted as. Something that, you know, for some of us could get us thrown in jail, you know, just for doing something that is completely normal. My nephew, you know, got thrown in jail simply (sighs) for being angry in a Mm. parking lot in, you know, a neighborhood where it's mostly white people and he is predominantly looks black. And, you know, that's I was like, that's really frustrating where I'm like, if my nephew looked more Caucasian, he probably wouldn't have gotten arrested. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. And, you know, and as a woman, you know, I'm like, oh, like I say this and I like that and I'm loud and I'm raucous and this and that. And I was like, oh, like as a woman, they're like, she's crazy. Whereas I'm like, but, <laughs> uh-huh. and, but if I was male, they'd be like, oh, my God, you're so funny. Yeah. And they'd probably give me a TV show for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. So that. So, yes, uh, I I give lots of snaps and, Yay, nods snaps. and bows oh, to, <laughs> yeah, I Yeah. So the poetry, I totally, I am on board with that. Is is most of your writing, would you say it's sociopolitical based or?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it. Um, I think it's more so that the personal is political and yeah. that, <laughs> that so many of my personal experiences have some kind of political element. I can't help the fact that, I'm a woman. I can't help the fact that I'm bicultural, that um, my parents have connections to the civil war in El Salvador, that I grew up in a neighborhood where people thought my mother was my nanny. I can't like I can't help that these are my life experiences. Yeah. And even when I'm not writing explicitly about these things, they're going to inform my work. Yeah. Um, in one way or another yeah do do you feel that the only way someone could not be
3: a social political writer is if they are a straight white cisgender middle class or higher male
1: yeah so i think about that sometimes like are (laughs) are, are they are they the
3: only people who are capable of writing without it i mean
1: yeah i mean my my father-in-law is a wonderful person but he is of the breed you just described And he writes, uh, he paints, and he told me recently that he doesn't care for politics and art, that he's not interested in political art. Uh, And he said both of those things, and he said them both ways. So I think politics and art and political art aren't necessarily the same thing, um, that you can have explicitly political art, um, like an activism poster instance Mm -hmm. um but i think most art has some kind of political slant to it i was just so taken aback when he said that like it's not that i had never heard that idea expressed before i just hadn't really heard it from an artist
0: yeah um like the idea that i keep away from those things but i mean how can you how could you avoid them at some level you know,
1: yeah. I think, yeah.
0: well, I
3: think that's a privilege that most yeah. that right. no and one he, in this room has. Yeah. And he you know? has that.
1: He has that privilege. Yeah.
3: And I because I, like that's something that's talking to my father who is, you know, an amazing human being and he's very talented. I and love how we always have, have
1: to preface these things like I know, this I'm white like, man I know exactly. is actually quite wonderful. <laughs> no, 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 it's true.
2: It's like, cause here's the thing. They,
3: you know, a lot
1: of
2: them are. A lot of
3: them are, you know. But it's just interesting in the discussions I have with him because I'm, I'm realizing that he's like one of the only people of that world that I talk to. Yeah. Most of the people in my life that I interact with you know, are, are people that are marginalized in some way. So, so for me, it's just like my barometer of like, I love my dad and he is a genuinely amazing human being, but like, there's just every once in a while I hear things and, and it's, and it is this feeling of, I'm like, oh, it's just like conscious, like just consciously and unconsciously you have never, like you have that privilege where you can create a play, you can write something and it can just be what it is, yeah, and the moment yeah. that I do that, if I were to write a piece about that, it is immediately political, it is immediately social, yeah, you know, because i and, and so i just i'm I'm fascinated by you know, and I, i've I've fluctuated with my sense of responsibility to that or my mm. frustration with the mm-hmm. feeling of the responsibility of am I a writer? Am I a female writer? Am I a yeah. queer writer? Am yeah. I, you know, and I, I go back and forth with it, but I do feel like, I mean, I just, I don't know why, but like today's the day where I was like, oh, I just don't have that privilege. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think, cause I think, you know, art comes out of, this is the thing people don't realize is that art really does come out of pain. Art mm-hmm. is not some, the art is not entertainment. Art can be entertainment, but they are two different things. Mm-hmm. And if you go to a country where there's not a lot of pain and and conflict, you will find a artistic culture, current artistic environment that is not thriving. Yeah, Art comes out of pain because what art and poetry really is, is it's us being like, oh, there's something going on inside of me.
2: Mm -hmm. that is
3: in conflict that there's something i need to get out of yeah yeah Yeah. and this repressed thing if it's repressed in the individual it's usually repressed in the society Mm. and so we do this therapeutic cathartic artistic process and then if we choose to share it with people then the people and the the group gets to see that mirror of their repression and it gives them a little mini catharsis of our catharsis and it is healing and it is mandatory for environments that are in pain. There's a reason why when there's a recession, the arts thrive, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, there's a reason why right now, you know, there's more TV shows coming out on Netflix, which might just, you know, be Netflix, but, uh-huh. um, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been watching more consuming more art lately because it's like, I look at the real world outside of me and I go, yeah. I can't deal with this. And yeah. so then I, I go to, I turn to art and it says, let me give you this world, but in a way that feels safer.
0: Yeah, it makes it make more sense, I guess. In right. Sense. Mm-hmm. But for if you look part, but yeah. if you look
3: at a country like yeah. Costa Rica, yeah. right? So they disbanded their um army in the fifties. They had one little civil war and they were like, screw this. And they <laughs> <Yeah>. took they <laughs> were like that. they're like, no more uh-huh. military. They took all the military spending and they put it towards public schools. Yeah. So here you have a country that has no military. They have no beef with anyone. Um, well I don't know as far as I can see and if you and I've, I've spent a lot of time there I've spent for seven years my summers there and th- it's just chill yeah. <laughs> it's just you go there and very everyone's just like very unusual
1: for Central America
3: exactly yeah. right like like <laughs> They've got Nicaragua <laughs> right next like the, the, the biggest drama in Costa Rica is is honestly the countries around them just yeah. going through them. Like that's yeah. their biggest. I saw one helicopter once and they were like, oh, someone from a drug runner from Nicaragua. So it's like but they they literally are just all about they're just like we've got tons of biodiversity. We're this weird little <laughs> yeah. place and you go and you know, their their theme is Pura Vida, which is pure life. And they're the, chi- it's just so chill. Everyone's just yeah. like, they're like, there's, but the th- reason why it's hard to be there for me, there's no arts. Yeah. Mm. Like,
0: you know, like, like in their turmoil to navigate. Right. Like saying? you don't go
3: in there. Like you don't yeah. see these, like, there's no like Costa Rican painting style. Yeah. There's no, you know, the, like it's like, you know, you go to, when I was in Indonesia, you know, like the, there's this dancing and then, and cause there's, there's a lot and i was just like i was like in i was like i was like how is there no i was like why you know yeah. and then i just everyone's was just like chill hanging out spending time with their families and like looking at the birds and like living a decent life and i was like oh there's no need to create art when i and so i, I was just like oh i was like that's yeah. that's why like arts are not this extra thing that we do.
0: Yeah. It's very essential to the struggle. Art you know? is yeah. this
3: mandatory thing. Like, yeah. like everyone's like, Oh, you're a poet. How frou I'm like, no, I was like, you really? poets are the most like craziest. <laughs> you know, so like, yeah. like, if you, meet someone, if you meet someone who's a poet and a yoga yeah. teacher, they are the most <laughs> internally messed up human yeah. being who's just trying desperately to figure out how to manage themselves. <laughs> yeah. Like it comes from this inner turmoil, which usually is brought on by an external one. And so
0: But I'd be curious also how this uh how this painting we're or portrait or we painting, um, how it can compares to the rest of human history, mm. how you perceive you know, like we think about this as being a unique or special time, whether or not you feel there's a repeating pattern, there's always you've always been stuck in this kind of problem, essential problem, or whether or not our ancestors have have something completely different, um, or some completely different human experience than than we're having right now. No.
1: You know? I think the human condition is a human condition. Yeah. It's just that this is our this time is our Vietnam or our yeah. World War Two or yeah. our our whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly for me, for my generation, that this is what we I mean, when Bush was around, I was a kid. You yeah. Know? So it's not yeah. like this is my first real adult it's political when you look
0: back right before nine eleven, you know, Fight Club would come out. <laughs> and they they were like they were like yes. the essential thesis of Fight Club was like we have no major war, right? Or that yeah. it was like we have nothing, so we'll just beat each other up because <laughs> we got nothing, right? And then I was in nine eleven struck and then it felt like there was more of an impetus towards some kind of moral duty or obligation, but then it got a confused because, you know, the people the um enemy became not uh necessarily, you know, out there, but actually it was like within our domestic Here. terrorism yeah. of how like domestically we were misconstruing and manipulating the, the the ideas of of the uh the can kind of the enemy into becoming like an internal enemy you know so then we have the rise of white nationalism and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. the reaction is, is end up being more than the provocation you know is end up kind of outweighing or you know i mean to some extent you know people are always saying even a few years ago every you know the the relationship between islamic uh, fundamentalism and and terrorism as being that you know every um every you know while not all Islamic people are terrorists all terrorists are Islamic they were saying that a few years ago and then now mm-hmm. we have we have like you know like I think like five or ten years ago they were saying that right after nine eleven they were just saying that a lot of people were saying that And now we have like this rise of huge you know domestic homegrown you know reactionary terrorism which is happening yeah. much more prevalent than even. You know, and how that that kind of mentality is yeah. becoming very, uh, very much a threat. Yeah, you know? and it is, it is terrorism. Yeah, and yeah. I wish yeah. that people yeah. would
3: call it that. Yeah. Um, it's very sad and unfortunate. Um, that the NRA is has such deep pockets yeah. that we can, you know, watch that happen. But I do think it's interesting because, like. You know, I remember when Fight Club came out. I was in high school. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's true. And like this, like the the cultural shift. Because sometimes I like wake up in a moment and I'm like, I do. I like I sit there and I call my dad because my dad was at Berkeley in '68 and '69. Yeah. Right. So like, dad's cool. By the way, my dad can roll a joint better than anyone. And I saw it for the first time two years ago, and I was like, wow. Like I don't even smoke <laughs> marijuana, but I was like, "Oh, respect, that I was like, "I was like, yes." Yeah. Um, but um, but I, I, I caught, and I was like, "Is this what it was like when you, like, when you were at Berkeley?" I was like, "Did you realize that you were like, did you wake up and realize like this is a moment in in our history, like this is something that like will be written about?" You know, yeah. I was like, "Did you feel that?" You know, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, I totally like we all could feel it. And it's it's almost like you're in in an ocean and it's like that the waves are overwhelming you and you can feel that shift in the tide and you have absolutely no control over it. Yeah. And like that's, I think, the existential pain that I think a lot of us are going through. I know I am of. I get that things are happening Mm-hmm. But the fact that I feel like I don't have any ability to affect it or like, I don't know how to ride this wave. Yeah. I don't know how to, you know, it's, it just feels a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. I don't know if that's true for anyone
1: else. Yeah. yeah no, definitely. And I'll try and come up with these small actionable things that I can do like, oh, I'll go volunteer here this week. Oh, I'll donate here this week. Whatever. And then I do it and I get this little bit of a high, like, oh, I did something. Yeah. And then <laughs> almost immediately after that, it's like, well, that was shit. Yeah. <laughs> that like, contributed so yeah. little. Yeah. But maybe it was something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well,
3: I, I mean it's or every single time I put my recycling in the recycling bin, you know, I just I'm like I think about that in comparison to the corporations, because it's yeah. like if if every individual on earth recycles, it still doesn't yeah. matter because the what the corporations are doing yeah. is yeah. like so
1: you know That's just the like the problem.
3: <laughs> you know, and or the fact that like if you know, if you recycle the wrong way, it's worse than not recycling yeah, at all. Yeah. And like oh. those little facts where I'm just like, yo, like, I don't, you know, there's just I mean, for me, I just keep telling myself like you know, you never know what tiny action can have a reaction. reaction. So I'm like, I know this action isn't massive, but I'm like, maybe what it ripples out, the 10th person that it Mm -hmm. hits, maybe that will have an effect. And so Mm. I think for me, it's just always remembering that every action has a reaction, which has a reaction, which has a reaction. And it may be four reactions or it may be 400 away, but You know, because like this is karma, which is that like everything you do has an effect Yeah, and it can seem like it's purposeless because you don't see the ripples. You don't see the karma all the time. Mm -hmm. But I would like to think that like every person, you know, that I just say hello to in the morning or if I just do one little nice thing that I'm like, you know, that could result in saving someone's life down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is actually the truth. Mm. Um, is that we don't know the effect of our positive actions or mm-hmm. negative actions because mm. we don't always see it. But um, it's the little th- trick that I use for <laughs> not having an existential breakdown yeah. every day. Yeah. Um, I am so much. Int- I'm also very interested in your short stories as yeah. well as your poetry. Is there more? I don't have that with. That's me. okay. Oh, no, that's yeah. okay. But I'm just Maybe curious could- about like yeah, like your you know because like I. It's like the one place I don't dabble in is short mm. stories, mm. but I I love them because I'm like if it's if it's something you love you're like yay it's a little nibble and if it's something yeah. you don't like you're like it's over soon it's gonna yeah.
1: be fine. <laughs> it's only a thousand words yeah, yeah. yeah. Bye. um but yeah. is there
3: specific voice or subject matter or like how would you what is what is reading a, your short
1: stories like. Yeah, so they're all different, but in the, <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, Desert Fox by the Sea, um, most of the stories have some kind of um, connection to the Latin, Latin experience in the South, um, or and in some cases more broadly the immigrant experience in the South. And there is usually a female protagonist. Yeah, yeah. So just these different. Uh episodes and circumstances that can happen there that do happen there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, so um like there's one with a voodoo doctor and a miscarriage that takes place in Roanoke. there's Roanoke, Virginia, yeah, um, God, I don't have the damn book in front of uh-huh. me. So- <laughs>
3: Or what about like so when I'm working with my writers, I usually like to find like what's the unconscious themes like what are the Mm -hmm. things that they unconsciously write about over and over again that clearly they're obsessed with trying to figure out and that usually is what connects to the audience like you will unconsciously be drawn to writers who write about the core wounds that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And so
1: I think, well, I mean, there's what I just mentioned, like the Latin experience in the South, which isn't something that's talked about a lot, but then there's also just the idea of trauma that's passed down from generation to generation, mm. especially from mother to daughter. Um, and that's something that comes up in my stories a lot. Um, just, yeah. And of, of that, I don't really feel like getting into that right yeah. now.
3: Oh no, no, no!
1: <laughs> I am. It's early. It
3: is. Yeah. It's very early or very yeah. late, depending upon you know where you are, where you are, what you're the, the doing, yeah. your life, um, your routine. Yeah. Well, let's just say it's it's deep. It's connected. Yeah. So if people are interested, yeah, just, then they should. I do have yeah, a tell, well,
1: poem related. Do too. we have time? Okay, for yeah, a poem? we have.
0: Uh, we have time running <laughs> short, but yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh this one is called Mary in Wyoming. Sometimes when I wake up, I wonder if my rapist is still sleeping. I wonder if the Virgin Mary wanted to run away to the new world because she was somehow the only Israelite who knew it existed. I wonder if my rapist flips his pillow to the cool side in the middle of the night. I wonder if the Virgin Mary would have miscarried while killing a deer in the wilds of Wyoming. I wonder if my rapist has whole or skim milk with his store brand cereal. I wonder if the Virgin Mary would have seen the Native Americans as heathens. I wonder if my rapist ever wears the same shirt two days in a row. I wonder if the Virgin Mary's body ever hurt like mine does, and how a shaman would have healed the aches caused by Jesus.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Head down. Yeah. Book closed. <laughs>
0: thank you. <laughs> yeah. So tell us where can people uh, find out about your work and yeah. uh, Quail Bell Magazine. Yeah, us some links yeah. And so
1: Quail Bell is quail, like the little bird, bell, like the object you ring, magazine.com. And we're very active on Facebook. We have an Instagram. We have a Twitter, all that stuff. The uh, handle is Quail Bell Mag for everything. And then for me, my website is World of Christine Stoddard. That's Christine with a C H and an E at the end. And Stoddard is S T O D D A R D. And I'm also all over the place on social media uh, as artist Christine Stoddard. Thank you, thank
0: you. And uh, Jess, you want to throw your-
3: As always, you can find all the craziness of my workshops at meditativewriting.org. And just know that if you are anywhere near Maine, I will be doing a lot of work and panels and extending the programming at the Mystic Film Festival in Maine this October. So go to oh. meditativewriting.org for more information about that.
0: Good, good. And then uh, also people can find out about uh i'm doing a reading on august 19th at Forest Hills library something got rescheduled yay. so at 6 30 so go to post to queens.org just to make sure it's still going on because i think it should be going on but yeah you know, <laughs> just to confirm everything's fine but it should be fine but because last time i announced it, it ended up being canceled but oh yeah just go to post of queens but it should be fine anyway uh ready for Your Brooklyn? is ready for brooklyn truth to power show uh ready for brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. So if you'd like to sponsor this show, go to readyforbrooklynorg slash truth to power. Or if you'd like to donate to Brooklyn in general, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Um, as you may know, of uh, the few ways that RadioFreeBrooklyn is able to generate revenue is by offering affordable podcast recording services. So please go to readyforbrooklynorg slash podcast studio. And enter the show code TTP, which is for Truth to Power, and you get a uh, discount. Uh, you get twenty um, percent off the cost of your first recording with us. So go ahead and uh, make your podcast streams a reality. Uh, we're gonna go out by listening to uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Uh, so one of my one of my favorite songs, uh, "Bull with Butterfly Wings." Yes. Uh, please enjoy. We'll at least get a few minutes into it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Oh, my
3: favorite
0: song. <laughs> this is like my first favorite song. Oh, it's adorable. I have to
2: switch this. <laughs> like a little ten year old Oh, yeah. <laughs>